Welcome to The Space Between. Today we are talking about Brethren in Christ, core value number four, following Jesus. And the tagline, if, if you're looking at the book, and perhaps you have the book, Focusing Our Faith, which is the book all about the Brethren in Christ core values, the tagline that goes with it that's in the book and also on the BIC website says, we value wholehearted obedience to Christ Jesus through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. So as we've done in the past here, we have uh, five things on our agenda as we engage this topic. The first thing we're going to do is define this from a Brethren in Christ perspective. Uh, The second thing is we're going to talk about our experience with it. And we're going to talk about the impact that this has on our relationships. Fourth, we're going to say, look, do we have any problems with this particular core value? And then five, why is this thing important? So let's start with number one, defining this from a brother in Christ perspective. This is one of those that I don't think needs a whole lot of explanation, following Jesus as a core value. And it really does mean what it says. We are to follow Jesus. And so uh, I guess a couple of things. One, uh, primarily it means that we are learners. And so we are always learning. We don't ever think we've arrived. That's a, that's a really good brethren of Christ and a Baptist value. We've, we've never really arrived at perfection or complete you know, sanctification even. We, we are always learning. And so because we're always learning, we're always growing. We're always growing toward a more Christ-like image. Uh, we, we bear a more Christ-like image as we grow in following Jesus. And a big component of that is obeying. Obedience is huge. You know, Jesus himself says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? So obedience is a, is a pretty important thing to Jesus. And we as the brethren of Christ would say that that's an important part of what it means to follow Jesus. So learning, growing, and obeying. The other thing we would say too is, look, if you are going to be a learner of Jesus, if we you're going to continue um, uh, learning how to follow him, that means you have to be engaged with it. So this whole following Jesus thing isn't something you can just do on a Sunday morning and say, look, okay, I went to church from 8.30 to 10 o'clock. I did some Sunday school time, maybe with my small group. I listened to the sermon, sang some songs. I have followed Jesus this week. Uh, No, we have to be engaged with this thing throughout our lifetime and throughout the week. And so we continue to engage with it. We continue to learn about who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And we keep growing and obeying who he is. Uh, So that, that would be a big component of defining this for the brethren in Christ. I guess the other thing that probably makes some sense to say, and this has to do with how we read the Bible, because we we so value following Jesus, we have a, a Christocentric um, approach to Scripture. So I guess what that means is we hold Christ to the center. And so the Scripture that... Um, that you know, Christ said, that quotes Christ, that, that talks about Christ, the Gospels, uh, the words of Jesus, the letters in red, we elevate those to a higher status than we do the rest of Scripture. So for instance, if Moses is commanding us an eye for an eye, you know, God says to Moses, Moses gives us to the people, this is an eye for an eye, and Jesus comes along later and says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you uh, that you should love your enemy. Uh, we would say, okay, Jesus' words are more important than Moses' words. So we would, we would sort of throw out an eye for an eye, and we would adopt Jesus's, his correction to that understanding of what God has called us to, to do. So we elevate the words and the teachings of Jesus beyond that of other scriptures. Uh, so if we were to, I'm not saying there is, but if we were to find some sort of disagreement between 
Paul and Jesus, you know, uh, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament, we would look to Jesus for uh, some sort of clarification. Jesus's words would uh, be more important than Paul's words in that way. So that's that's, that's one of the ways that um, following Jesus really affects the way we approach the Bible too. So that stuff at the center of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, there's a there's a portion here at the beginning of Revelation as well uh, where where Jesus is speaking to these seven churches throughout the uh, the Middle East. Uh, we elevate those words incredibly high uh, because of our Christocentric expression or our perspective on on life and following Jesus. So I hope that helps to make some sense, not just in what it means to follow Jesus, but also how we view the Bible. So that's how I would define this from a uh, brother in Christ perspective. Doug, do you have any things you'd add to to that definition or maybe some clarifications? Perhaps I said something confusing. Uh, no, I think that the other thing that at least is in the book is it talks about that um, that connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Fair point. Uh, which is at the, the, the end of that, this chapter. Um, and I think that sometimes that can become quite confused within our perspective as American Christians, at least, I don't know how far it extends within, like even Western Christianity, and what what part com- becomes but, confusing? But do you think to me is is that whole thing of like um, uh, when somebody says, when I I was praying and I felt like Jesus said this to me. Um, Scripture is pretty clear about the fact that the connection to God is through the Holy Spirit, and that our connection through God is through the Holy Spirit and from the sacrifice of Jesus' blood. But Christ himself ascended into heaven. Now, Christ is alive and active. I get that whole thing. And it starts to get some into some theology. But um, just even quoting from the book here, it says uh, right here, he began with a basic truth that the Holy Spirit would now become their instructor in the teaching-student relationship. The Holy Spirit will lead people to Jesus, convict them, uh, of sin and guide them into truth. Uh, I think that often, and, and fair enough, I think the Trinity is quite complicated when you're saying three and one and one and three and you start wondering about which entities and yes, they are all God, but yes, they are all separate personalities. We start to get like blend, I think, in our way that we think of, oh, this is this is Jesus or this is the Holy Spirit. And to, to me, and I, I maybe... This is all just semantics, and it doesn't really even matter in the first place, I guess. Yeah. But 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 I think that in especially when you're talking about the theology of these things, like they've been kind of worked out by smarter people than me, at least. And um, it, it, traditionally speaking, the Holy Spirit is the connection to God the Father and God the Son, and and because Jesus says in Acts that I'm going to send someone much greater than myself, even, and that is the Holy Spirit, you know, and that's what's going to inhabit your body and these sorts of things so it's an added bonus to like following jesus of like we'll be able to follow jesus because we have that connection with the holy spirit that's the aspect to there i think that's good that's a good uh, reminder too because there will be some there'll be different denominations that have different perspective on the holy spirit and so you know some of them i would say more charismatic would maybe rely more on the holy spirit than other ones in, in certain ways right um the brethren in christ would would be a denomination that 
would include the Holy Spirit in their theology. Right. We, we don't, we're not thinking that we're absent of the Holy Spirit of some kind. We, it's not like we have a, a strange relationship with the Holy Spirit in some right. way. The right. Holy Spirit is very much a part of our understanding of how this whole God, Jesus, uh, us following Jesus thing works. Right. You know, and, and we, the other thing, too, is that we do depend on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what the tagline said, right? That uh, we value wholehearted obedience to Christ Jesus through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We recognize that this is beyond us to do right. by ourselves. The Holy Spirit becomes an, an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do so even. Yeah. Turns our heart, right? I mean, there's something called provenient grace. I remember hearing about that from a senior pastor once that, and essentially it's the idea that, uh, not that, that God chooses for you to follow him, but that, that in some ways the Holy Spirit actually uh, provides us provenient grace, this, this pre-grace that allows you the ability to take your cold heart and, and turn it to Jesus, mm-hmm. turn it to, to follow God. Uh, so, we recognize the the need for the Holy Spirit. Mm, yeah, cool. So, what's your experience with following Jesus? What a yeah. weird question! Isn't that a weird question? Yeah. It, it works pretty well with a lot of the other ones. It but does, but this one is it's like, it's like, hey, dude, funky, man. It, it's like, hey, hey, Nick, <laughs> you follow Jesus lately? <laughs> uh, let me tell you about. Let me tell you what I think is. Is there's a story I think of with this question? It's kind of like a story. Uh, of Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Avila, um, who um, you know, I, I want to say she was from the 14th century, a nun, and like this fellow walked up and was like, "You believe in hell?" And she's like, "Yes." And then as she's walking away, she's like, "But no one's there." <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but like, just the concept of like, why would you even walk up to a nun and be like, "Do you believe in hell?" Like, <laughs> especially I'm thinking the 14th century. So asking a pastor. What's your experience with uh, following Jesus, bud? Like, <laughs> it feels a little yeah, it's, it's on strange. the nose. It's hard to even answer. I, right, I don't yeah. know. I'm not even sure how to, to broach. I should have thought about that before we started recording. Right. Uh, what, what do I think this question means? Right. <laughs> um, I guess I have some thoughts on following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um. I think we've shared our testimony in some of these recordings already yeah. to a certain extent. You yeah. know, I, following Jesus took a different shape for me around the age of 17 mm-hmm. uh, when I was a senior in high school. Prior to that, it, 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 didn't, it didn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, what I thought it meant, uh, actually, it ends up I was pretty close to when I was a teenager, thinking what I thought it meant. But I kept seeing around me in the church led me to believe that I was incorrect. And you didn't actually have to believe in what the bible says or actually follow jesus with your actions uh you just kind of said one thing and did another and so some of the hypocrisy that i observed led me to believe that i must have must be wrong in the way that what it means to follow jesus anyway when i turned 17 that took a different turn for me um i think following jesus is really hard i I think and i and it's also really easy i don't want to like scare people away i just think that um It'd be really easy for us to say that following Jesus is all about loving. Mm-hmm. You know, God is love. Um, but I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah. I think it's a lot deeper than that. And I think it requires sacrifice and denial. And I think it requires us encountering our weakness more than we often are comfortable with. Um, I think when you look back over the Gospels, you know, the the people that Jesus interacted with, Jesus often interacted with people who are deep in weakness. 
And here in our country, in the American church, we, we like strength. We like power. Um, we, we really chase it in a lot of ways. Um, and I even think currently, like, one of the things that I'm often hearing from folks as we come out of the last political season to this political season is that, you know, with a new president that, um, that doesn't have like the, the evangelical voting block behind them, they're going to change all these things and it's going to force churches to lose their 5013C status and pastors are going to lose sort of privileges. And, and, and all of that to me, as I listen to it, uh, even if it's true, it's all rooted in power. It's all rooted in, oh, I'm losing my power. And I think that's a silly place for us to exist as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, we like money. We like our stuff. We like our programs. We like our nice buildings. We, I mean, you think about what churches often spend their money on. It's staffing and programs and uh, their facility. And it's uh, on all sorts of stuff. That, that, I mean, that could be great things. Don't get me wrong. Churches can use it really well, um, but that's not that's not us looking at our weakness. That's us looking at ways we can we have we have power and privilege and wealth and 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 power and privilege is or excuse me privilege and wealth is just another word for power, yeah. right? Yeah. So we just in this culture in in American evangelical church seem to be obsessed with power. I think Jesus would be more obsessed with weakness. You know, I think about. A man born blind sitting outside the city gates at the disciples encounter. And they're like, why is this man blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus is like, no, this man's not blind because of anybody's sin. He's blind because it'll glorify my father in heaven. And then he he does some crazy healing. You know, like um, that man's weak. But by any standard that you and I would have, or, or maybe I shouldn't say you and I, I don't know, any standard that our modern world would have. Mm-hmm this blind man that's begging who can't hold a job, who's completely dependent on people throwing coins at him or bringing him food. Uh, he's disabled. Uh, he like, he has no power. He's completely weak. And yet Jesus works through him. Mm-hmm. Um, think about the woman at the well who's been ostracized, who's been, um, she comes to the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to run into anybody because she knows that she has gone against what people, well, that she's a sinner. Mm-hmm. Right, she doesn't want to be around people that are gonna just call her out constantly, or 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 worse, maybe they'll beat her or uh, or kill her. Uh, she's in a place of complete weakness. Yeah, and and so and 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 then she comes out at the hottest point of the day to get water, which is gonna make her even more physically weak. Yeah, and she encounters the Messiah there. Jesus works through the weakness. Think about Lazarus. Lazarus, he dies. He's so sick, and when he's sick, his sisters send word to Jesus. Hey, the one you love is sick, or he's about to die. And Jesus, it's it's almost like Jesus, is like, uh, he is weak. It's just not quite weak enough. I'm gonna wait two days until he's dead. And then he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, I guess when I look at the way Jesus interacts with people, he is interacting through weakness. And in a culture that's obsessed with power and strength, I think we need to a part of our following Jesus would be to encounter our weakness that much more is to stop accumulating the power mm-hmm. and start engaging our weakness. Where we are weak, God is made strong. Mm-hmm. He works through that weakness. And, and honestly, the gospel is right here. I, I have to touch it because it's, it's so close right now. The ultimate weak state is death, is it not? The ultimate weak state for 
a, a society obsessed with money, power, privilege, gaining things and, and legacy. And, and, and that's is death. And yet death is where Jesus does his best work. Mm-hmm. He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He, he goes into death himself in order to break the hold that death has on the world. Like he, he frees us from that hold. And so, I don't know, it's weakness to me. And I, and I, I don't know how I'm answering this question or my experience of following Jesus. I just think what I've found in the last number of years is my experience of following Jesus tells me I need to pay more attention to weakness than I need to pay attention to strength. It's not about what I can do to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's more of a denial of that. I should be more denying what I can do all by myself. Mm-hmm. And, and let God enter into that situation and depend more on him, not less on him. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't be looking to build up the most massive retirement package that I possibly can uh, because I do I fear that God's not going to take care of me? Do, I mean, I try and just do it all in my own power. I, I want to do my due diligence. I want to take care of my family. But am I doing that because I'm not depending on God? I, I just think we need to pay more attention to weakness, I guess, is what I'm ultimately trying to say here. Uh you know, um, I had spiritual direction last week, and uh, my spiritual director, we were talking about deeper stuff within me, but I started to realize how offensive the gospel is. Interesting. And um, the gospel being offensive in the sense of, if I could say it's two-pronged and it's offense, it's that um, Jesus wanted a lot more people than the people that followed him and accepted them close to him which takes away people's power. Hmm. And it also said, you know what? If it's not me and it's not all about me, it's not quite there yet. Hmm. That's pretty offensive. So you talk about power and you talk about people finding their root in it. It's funny. Like I was talking today with a a coworker and we were talking about some people that are in a, a certain committee and we we're like, they all talk about how much they hate it, but they never resign. They've been doing it for years. And like we identified the fact the reason they don't quit the committee is because they want to have power. The power, even though it creates so much hate and they talk about how much they hate it and they resent it and they say it causes all this stress. Isn't that interesting that we even are, we even trap ourselves in that, in that cycle of like the control and the power is so addictive that we actually hurt, harm ourselves, and trap ourselves into things. Like, certainly that looks like that whole picture of the sheep and the goats kind of thing, you know, like just doing silly things. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so um, I just think that's that's such an, and and the piece that I I don't remember if you said this or not, but like that whole thing is fueled with grace. Hmm. You know, like, why does why does why is Jesus obsessed with with weakness? Because he is just full of grace. Mm. Because coming to him is the only place when you're empty. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been my experience. My experience is there. My walk has gone in a place where people will talk about: Am I close to Christ or am I close to Jesus? And now I'm far away from Jesus, or I'm close to God, I'm far away from God. My experience has been the realization that I'm never far away, and yet I feel so empty. But when I accept the grace that he wants to pour out for me, man, it's good. It, it kind of reminds me even of like this, for, for me, like my experience has been like this quote here. Um, 
by Dallas Willard, and I don't know if it's how he wanted it. He says, the narrow gate is obedience, but the broad gate is simply doing whatever I want to do. And I would look at that and say, because of Christ, they're both gates. They both end up there. Like the obedience, obviously you're going to get this fulfillment, that actual, like the fulfillment of knowing that you're in the will of Christ. But doing what you want, yeah, you, there might be emptiness, but it still ends with the grace of Christ loving you. Hmm. And like sometimes, like I, I, me and my, my wife have had a lot of conversations lately where I have difficult times with church because lately because I feel like I'm just tired of being told of ways I'm deficient and how I need to grow. Mm. And I'm ready for I'm ready for a church sermon that just says, "You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are made in my image, and I love you." And that is that is what I'm trying to sit in now, and that is a place that my my experience with following Jesus has had ups and downs, but it's always been a power struggle with trying to figure out how to be the best Christian or how to do it the right way or how to do all these things so that I can assure myself that I'm going to heaven. It's not up to me. It's about realizing that I am weak yeah, and I can accept the grace that Jesus openly pours out on that cross as he has his arms open wide. That it's a calling. It's a calling back to him saying, come to me, I am broken just as you are. You think about it too, is even in this, the moments where you are trying to define yourself as one who has it together, who's checking off all the right boxes. Right. I mean, that's still you in your own power trying to to force the, I, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm in. Yeah. You know, and, and in reality, what you have to do is sit in your weakness and be like, look, there's nothing that I could do or say. There's nothing that I can give. There's no box I can check that's yeah. ever going to make me good enough. Right. The only thing that makes me good enough is the grace right. and so that Jesus has given me. It gets to that point where you're like, oh, what a wretch I am. But that's where the basking and the fact that I am beautifully and wonderfully made. Yeah. And that's I think that's missed a lot because we don't celebrate weakness. Yeah. We don't celebrate the fact that like this is these are our bodies. They were the way that we were created. And I think God did a good job. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That it's constantly like the critiquing and the the well, you'll be better off and you'll feel better. It's this search for this fulfillment that like Jesus is openly pouring out and when we feel that like that fulfillment i honestly believe it's it's the tapping into grace of like the acceptance of like this is good brennan manning has this book called abba's child and it literally is a book on that very thing and it is so powerful and i think that's where the reformed church actually misses the mark a bit the reformed church believes in total depravity right and but i don't think they make the next leap of of I'm so glad I'm totally depraved. Right. <laughs> because in Jesus, I find my, like, right. I, I think that they, they focus more on the, <laughs> I'm worthless. Oh, what a sinner I am. Exactly. Right. But yeah. they don't make the jump. Right. You know, there's yeah. a difference between, yeah. oh, what a sinner I am. And what a sinner I am. Yeah. And thank God. Yeah. You know, I, and I think too, the other thing with if weakness is like, think about who Jesus came and called to follow him. The mm-hmm. disciples that followed him were essentially those who had been rejected from any sort of schooling Previously, they would not be the cream of the crop. If Jesus was going to come and call a bunch of uh, scholars, it wouldn't have been the disciples that he called. Right. Right. Yeah. So everything that we think would define us as, again, being in, like Paul says in, in Philippians, he's like, I could, 
you want to talk about following all the rules. I'm the one who's followed all the rules. I'm a Jew, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I'm righteous by the law. He just lines them all up. And he's like, but all of that, I just counted as, as junk. It's dirt. It's it's scubula is the word he uses, but it's, it's, it's junk. It's terrible. Yeah. So everything that we think defines us as uh, of doing all the right things, right. even Paul's like, look, none of that matters. The right. only thing that matters is the grace of God that actually is what makes me who I am. It, it's the weakness that I'm in. Yeah. And so I'll boast in my weakness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what that's what Paul says. And, and I mean in life I've found that when I am able to accept the fact that like I am weak and I tell people like people are like, that's great. Like like asked a question I, I honestly don't know but I can find out for you. People are like, Wow, thanks for being authentic and great yeah. <laughs> you know? Like or yeah, you know, just, or, you know what? I was wrong about that, and I'm sorry. I should have done this. People are like, oh, my gosh, they admitted what they did was wrong. What's that say about the world we live in? Right? Like, people want it. It's just none of us is willing to, like, no one can say, like, hey, that's the thing I really like. It's it's I, fantastic and terrible. Honestly, I think that that's, like, a huge mark against the church, because I think the church for years, at least when I was growing up, I don't mm-hmm. know if you had the same experience, too, yeah. but... They, they had to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And so the answers they gave you were often <laughs> really unsatisfactory. Right. Well, mm-hmm. they were all the answers, and they were 10, ten years late. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean that's the truth. It, it was a defer, 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 defer. And then now that we've all had our council meetings, we've decided this is the way we're going to go, and the world's moved on from that question. They're on to something else. And and they're like, but wait, we, we, we've answered the question. And they're like, well, it's irrelevant because we've already made our decision up. Well, that's true too, for sure. <laughs> and I just think it's refreshing when a, a pastor, teacher, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, somebody's just like, look, I don't know. That's yeah. a great question, man. I, I have no idea. Yeah. That makes me want to take a deep breath and be like, sweet. Like, yeah. I can do, like, I look up to this person. Right. And, and they don't know. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to have all the answers in order to, to follow Jesus like that person. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's refreshing when someone says, I don't know. And I think the world, like you're saying, breathes a deep sigh of, yeah, yeah I, they don't know. Okay. 100%. You know, something I've, I've recently decided I was going to start doing was I, I do like having the answers. <laughs> I really do. And Who the doesn't? fact that like I have a smartphone accessible, I'm like, I'll Google it. <laughs> right. Like, let's get to the, the bottom of this. And I've started saying like, hold off from that trigger finger and say, I don't know. And just be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And, and man, that hurts. Like for me, like deep down inside of me, like I feel this churning of like, just remember you'll have to do it eventually when no one's looking, you know, like, like I got, I want, I want to know. And, but meanwhile, I'm like, no, I need to sit and rest in the fact that it's okay not to mm. like learning to be content with the situation and not having X, Y, and Z, you know, like it's okay. So, I mean, I think that that's a growing process for all people of like finding that thing that like kind of works on you and, uh, yeah. being like, okay, I don't, I don't need that on you Jesus. That's actually going to be an interesting area for the next generation uh, oh, yeah. because they have the answers at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting fact checked all the time Yeah, and, and quickly. Yeah. And so they don't have the ability to like sit with a, they don't have a, the, it's just not something that's been stretched right. in them. That muscle yeah. they haven't exercised of being like, oh, okay, let me process that. Let me see if I agree with that or not. Let me work through that in my head rather than just they Google it and 
like, yeah. find the the answer whatever that is right fundamentally jesus would be completely against cancel culture too of like once they find the right answer and society says this is what's the right thing to do like let's completely cancel this person off and like shame them to the nth degree like that yeah. wouldn't be jesus's way yeah, you know, it just I think works. I mostly agree with you on that. I yeah. think the other thing too that cancel culture does is it often it it uh, it destroys their previous bodies of work too. It cancels all of them, not just the right. current them, but it cancels the past them. Yeah. And there may be things that were written in the past that are wonderful, right? But we cancel the whole thing, right? And I think Jesus would be very much against that. Yes, I agree. So yeah, I think that that it's a day by day moment, and we certainly are growing. You know, mm. now certainly you can call people out. And say, and Jesus is, would do that. And Jesus would do that, right? But would there always be a place at His feet? Absolutely. And as Christians, there should be a place where we embrace each other and say, "This is still my brother or sister." You know, like it's it, it, this is this is somebody that that has a a heart and a soul, and that God loves and made. So yeah, yeah, that's that's sweet. And you know, one more thing on weakness. I was just thinking about this. Yeah. Jesus has this affinity for children. Yeah. And children are, in so many ways, about as weak as you can get. Yeah. They, they depend on adults for everything. Right. I mean, we both have young kids. Yeah. How often do you hear, Daddy, Mommy, and it's something really simple. It's even something they know how to do, but they're asking right. for help anyway. Right. There's an innocence there, yeah. and there's a weakness there, but there's like a, there's not a shame associated with the weakness. Right. It's just an acceptance of, this is life. Yeah. And and why why is that? There's not even a conception that needing mom and dad's help is a problem, right? And maybe that's part of what Jesus is getting at when he says, "Look, if you want to follow me, you got to be like a little child. Yeah. You got to have that kind of faith. It's yeah. just a complete acceptance of my reliance upon who he is, upon Father, Father right. God, right? Yeah. And not just trying to do it all by myself or being ashamed of it, right? Uh, yeah, anyway. And in that. My kids, at least, in my conversations with them about God, or they bring up it, God on their own, they have been phenomenal. Hmm. And, like, things that they notice, and um, it, it's almost as if in that weakness, there is some kind of wisdom there that you're just like, well, like, it's taken me 30, 30 odd years to figure out, like, what they just said. Hmm. They're already connected to it, and I'm try. I've been trying to figure this out for my life. <laughs> so a beautiful simplicity. Oh my gosh, it's, you know, um, my my son the other day said, um, "God's not invisible; he's camouflaged." <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> that's awesome. And I was just like, "Oh man, dude, serious." Tell me more, prophet. Tell me more. Right. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's so good. That, that describes it all. Yeah. Like, I don't need anything else. Like, that's it. <laughs> you did it. And I'm just, I'm, and I'm just like, what? Yeah. So that stuff blows me away. And it's like, no wonder Jesus wanted kids by him because I'm sure they said stuff like, just did. He's been trying to say it to these adults all this time. And the kids are like, they just say it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, finally somebody gets it. <laughs> like, like it's like almost like just bass over like, oh, finally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, 
I want to believe that's part of it. Like that, 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 that he, he just enjoyed being around people that just, they saw the kingdom. Yeah. Like all around him. And he's like, these are my people. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. Makes, it makes sense to me. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Go, go him. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we should probably keep going. Yeah. Impact, impact with our relationships. I mean, we've kind of touched on it interweaved with it a little bit but yeah i i think one of the impacts that i'm noticing is that there are uh you know i'm a pastor i've i've been i'm around church going christians all the time and and i have been for a long time and um maybe maybe i'm just knee deep in in some of that one of the things that I've noticed that church going Christians have, have done is pick and choose which parts of Jesus they follow. Yeah. I mean, that's what was like our next question about any problems with following Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. In, I'm in bleeding into it a little bit. Right. Well, let me, let me get to this then. And yeah. this will be the, the relational piece. Yeah. If I, as a pastor or a parishioner, if, it doesn't matter if I'm in behind the podium or if I'm sitting in the pew, if I say, Jesus said this, and I'm pretty sure we should follow it. And that has ended relationships before, depending on what the issue is. Right. Um, and and there, I'm sometimes people want to argue, oh, Jesus didn't mean that literally, or or something. And and maybe there are sometimes I might agree with that. I don't know if Jesus is really telling us to cut off one of our hands if it makes us to sin, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not saying that I should, I will do that. I'm not. That's not literal. But I think if Jesus said love your enemies, I think he really meant it. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I would say I've seen some relationships be um, strained by a willingness to follow Jesus versus a willingness to pick and choose. Yeah. And that's that offensive piece too, maybe. Yeah, you know I, I mean? I the, agree. The offensive part of the gospel of like, it's probably butting up some against someone's ego. Yeah. And them saying, no, but I don't believe in that. Like, I believe in X, Y, and Z, and this is what gives me control, and this is what makes me feel secure. Yeah. And so they, yeah. Yeah, that, I guess that would be the only thing I would say relationally. Yeah. You know, it, following Jesus is a priority to me. Mm-hmm. And I think at different times in my life, it's been a bigger or a smaller priority. But Right. Um, and I would say that there are times that following Jesus, it, you know, and because it's a priority means that I don't do certain things. Right. And that can affect relationships. Mm-hmm. I, other times following Jesus means that I do something or don't do something that impacts relationships positively. Right. So I, I don't know. There's... That's a weird question for this one, I think, too. Yeah, it's 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 fun to think about this question. I think in two ways: one, in the the like the personal, like the ethics of like what does it mean to follow Jesus, and like what does like the personal relationship with Jesus mean to fo- like relationships elsewhere. The other one is like almost like well, what is the um, the impact on your relationships from the theology and some of the more heady things? Yeah. And how that gets applied. And so you have like, for instance, where like, you know, the Reformed Church might see the total depravity and that affects relationships the way that they see themselves and they communicate elsewhere. Sure. Opposed to if you have, you know, our, as our past conversation, a different way to see yourself as wonderfully made, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that obviously has an impact and yet it's under the title of following Jesus with like I put quotations up because you can't see yeah. hands, <laughs> but like following Jesus, opposed to um, 
the actual relationship itself and how it impacts relationships. And I think that for a lot of people, the water's pretty muddy. That they don't, they're not separated between, um, well, I'm doing this because of, it's just all of Jesus. I'm following Jesus and this is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what it, and, and so sometimes you're, you might even be affecting a relationship positively. You have no idea or negatively and you have no idea because these things have kind of blended together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so when I think about that, I think, man, I, I, I certainly, uh, I would say that, like, yeah, it's been negative and positive for following Jesus, but the Jesus part I find are a lot more positives than negatives. And the, the religion piece more or less is a lot more negatives than positives. <laughs> and so to separate those and be like, yeah, I am a Christian. Like I follow a religion. I follow somebody, but like that relationship piece with Jesus and how that guides me has been pretty stellar most of the time. And I'm still learning and realizing that I have a whole lot of um, perceptions of who Jesus is that I've put on him because that's what made sense in my brain. And that wasn't Jesus in the first place, mm. you know? And, and, and it's like, wow, that was really actually part of my religion. That wasn't part of a relationship at all. Hmm. So um, I think I'm still learning how to separate those two. And um, that's been really cool just to realize that I, I feel like this is kind of like, so uh, abstract, but <laughs> <laughs> But, but still to be like, yeah, well, I guess my relationships have been positively impacted when I did things that Jesus said. And when I felt like a push from the Holy Spirit to do something, those yeah. have typically been like fantastic. Hmm. But when I've done something because of an obligation that I felt like this is what God would want, or this is what it means to be a Christian, there's been a negative impact maybe in a relationship with somebody or in myself. Interesting. So that's just what I've continued to identify myself. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, the posture of your heart is a huge part of, of what you do. Right. If we think people can't sense that the posture of your heart is in an obligation sense rather than an opportunity sense, we'd be wrong. People can sense that stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yeah, good. For sure. Oh, okay, problems with it. Um. I think in some ways I kind of just said it, but also didn't. <laughs> I'm so abstract. You're I know so it. abstract today. Yeah. <laughs> I said it so and let me, I didn't say let it. Me, let me explain. Hey, if God can be three and one and one and three, I can certainly say it and not say it, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> but uh, any problems? Um, I have problems when... Uh, I have problems not with Jesus. I have problems with Jesus followers. <laughs> okay, preach, brother. That's, 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 <laughs> I want to hear it. I don't even know if I have to say much more than that. I think most people are like, amen. <laughs> but everyone's putting fingers at each other, and this is the problem, right? So, uh, yeah. I also have problems with, like, theology. And we have all these different churches with all these different theologies and different things. And they all have good intent and we have followers that all take that information in differently and so we have all these different perceptions and we all are just trying to get along but we're also all trying to hate each other 
And so those are the problems. I have problems with like the mess, but I don't have problems with Jesus. And isn't it like <laughs> kind of strange that the culture that follows Jesus finds that acceptable? The finger pointing and the hatred and the sure, yeah, like yeah, it's crazy. It's it's like it's taught. Yeah, it's like it's bred into us. I mean, I, I can recall lessons on apologetics as a child in youth group. Uh-huh. You got to have these arguments memorized. You always got to have an answer. You got to be able to to defend your faith. Yeah, yeah. you know. And I, again, I'm, I'm that's that's biblical. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to defend your faith, but it's it's really more of defending the joy. I, I'm pretty sure Scripture says. Uh, and so when somebody says like, why, why do you do what you do? Or, or why, why do you, are you so joyful in the midst of this circumstance? You can give a reason for it. You know, you give a reason for your faith, not, not defend it, not, not attack others with it. Right. right? But that's the culture that we've promoted. You know, to say to, to that real quick, um, that I heard a quote somewhere and I would Google it, but I'm trying to stay away from that, as I said. <laughs> so uh, it was something like the sadness is, the sadness is the invitation to joy. Like, you have to have sadness with joy. And we have a culture that doesn't like to be sad, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we're constantly searching for that joy part. But we don't want to be sad, so you can't get there, right? So, like, your, your emotion of accepting the fact that you're sad and broken, you can't actually be joyful that you are saved and wonderfully made. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to take the one with the other. You need the, you know. So good. So, um, I, I honestly think that that's the culture, right? The culture says... I just want to be happy. I want to be happy all the time, and happiness is awesome. Mm. It makes me feel so good. But like to have true joy of what we're actually looking for, more than happiness, like you have to be willing to accept the fact that like there is a there is a brokenness inside of you, <laughs> and and approach it with with like courage, and and like in humility, and that's that's where Christ comes in. That's the following of Christ of like. Thank you for accepting me. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So, and and there's yeah. a communal piece to following. Like, Absolutely. You don't have to engage that brokenness by yourself. Yeah, of course not. It's brothers and sisters united in, in Jesus Christ who will engage that with you. Yeah. Like they'll walk with it's you a, through it. It's a huge portion of it, isn't it? Something my wife has said before is like we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. And that's I feel like that's such a good picture to me. I get the picture of like Calvin and Hobbes yeah. walking into the sunset, one's carrying a toboggan and, and just they're together. Like yeah. they're whatever's coming next, whatever that sunset brings, they're in it together. And yeah. and when we engage that brokenness, when we are finally ready to admit the yeah. sadness of the brokenness, right. you don't have to do it alone. You're not alone. That's part of the communal aspect of following Jesus. That's why he created a community to follow him, and he didn't just leave one Christian on earth. Right. He left a community, and that community blew up like crazy right. in the aftermath of his return to heaven and the onset of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. Right. It's still here. There's still a community. It's still engaging us, and we are still in this thing together. And when we—that's that's, again— I, I go back to the strength thing, mm-hmm. but the whole like I'm a one man army. Right. I go this thing alone. I right. pull myself up by my bootstraps. Yeah. I'll engage this thing. Like that's part of the whole strength thing. Right. Like shake it off. You yeah. need me, and I need you. Right. Stop going on this thing alone. Right. Yeah. You know, I want to th- say that like seven billion people on this earth probably have seven billion different ways to see God, and seven billion people probably have at least one aspect of God correctly that you don't see. Right. <laughs> so like, you know what I mean. So like. The community aspect of seeing God and walking through things has to happen 
because you get a better and bigger picture of who God is. Yeah. From each person that you allow to speak into your life, you get a new perspective of this, of the all, right? Mm. Like, but that that goat alone says, okay, well, my perspective of God is this is this is the right thing, and it's very small. And that makes me feel threatened when someone else's perspective is different, which makes me mm-hmm. want to argue, point fingers, defend, or or go on the attack. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a problem for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the other, you know, the problem I think I have with, and this is this is I don't know how to word this because it's sort of like what I just said mm-hmm. when I encounter a different perspective than my own. Right. Makes me want to go on the attack. Right. Sure. There's a part of me that feels like I'm almost about to do that. Right. I'm struggling lately with the nationalistic um, picture of Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. The uh, the adoption of nationalism into our faith. Sure. Uh, the adherence of... of oh, I always say this without getting in too terribly much trouble or going down too far of a rabbit trail. Right, yeah. Um, there's a picture of Jesus that's being presented right now and... And maybe it always has been. Maybe right. maybe I'm just seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it goes through cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but almost like almost like Jesus and God are American, mm-hmm. and that I, that that brings me pain. I don't know what else to say other than that. It brings me pain. I have a problem with that. I have a real big problem with anything that sets up one nation over another nation or or one one nation's version of Christianity over another nation's version of Christianity. I mean, we, we can, in some like abstract way, we're like, oh, my brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are Christians or my brothers and sisters in Africa that are Christians or what, but, and we think, oh, we're, we're all believing the same thing. But and honestly, there's some things that we believe are the same, but there's a lot of things that are very different and that's a different picture of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, an American Christian, went to Africa and sit down in a, a Zambian church, it would be a very different experience to you. The preaching would be different. The teaching would be different. Um, I mean, some of the essentials are the same, but everything else is very yeah. different, right? To set up one nation's version of Christianity over another nation's version of Christianity, I got a big problem with that. And yeah. I feel like that we're seeing that a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's like a, maybe there's like a civil cycle that's happening and that's important maybe as a nation we need to try and come together and say look america can be good again and we can do this again and we can be about this again and we're we're bonding right now right so maybe there's a part of it that's positive right but i feel like it's taking jesus right and it's uh twisting it yeah yeah you know (laughs) i i feel like when it comes to politics everything gets so it gets it gets nasty Right, but it also um, politics operates out of like one-liners, and that's maybe not the best way to approach life, really. So, for instance, I was thinking on the way over here. There's a lot of signs still out and around. Oh, say, political signs. Yeah, yeah, sure. So even one like uh, you know, uh, I thought you were talking we, about my signs in my, no, in no, my not yard. Your, not your signs, but like other signs, <laughs> like like. We support the we support the the blue line, or we support right. the police, right? Yeah. And I wish there was a sign, and maybe I'll I'll find it that says like I su- like we support the police as long as they're not breaking the law. Interesting. Yeah, like I absolutely support police officers. What they do is respectable, as long as they're not breaking the law. Yeah. And in that case, I do not support the police. 
you know, it, and you can go with any sort of like, you know, I am pro-life. I am pro-life for all people. Like we have these small little phrases that are, that have so much meaning to them. And it means all these different things. And I feel like what we need is a little bit, maybe some specificity, right? That might be the right word. I might've said it right. Um, just let's, let's maybe make it a little more specific and, um, yeah, get away from that, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I want to believe that, like, so it didn't matter to Jesus, right? The centurion. He was all about the centurion. Like, take it. Like, the centurion comes to him. And he's like, hey, you know, we're cool. He's a police officer, more or less, you know, like, hanging out. You know, like, it doesn't matter to Jesus what your job was. Never thought about that. You know what I mean? Like, like Jesus didn't care what you did. And so some of this, too, is like, we've we've relied on what is our identity and it's our, t- our job roles and our titles and, like, can we just drop that crap and just be like, hi, my name is Doug and I love Jesus. You know, like that might be a better way to approach life. I think, but I think, it's, yeah. that's offensive sometimes to people like, Oh, you mean you follow Jesus? Jeez. You know, like even that can be offensive. I like where you're going with that too. Cause we live in a world of like, what was Twitter? It used to be like 144 characters. Right. right? Yeah. And that was, that was a big deal. Like, can you get what you have to say down to 144 characters? Yeah. And then I think they expanded to 210 or something now. Right. Um, because you couldn't get it. But now we, we live in a world of memes. And right. memes are like these famous one-liners. Right. And some of the most prevalent memes that are out there right now are very political, political yeah. one-liners. And I think, so right. I think you're, you're right. We live in a culture that depends on the one-liner. Right. But... In addition to that, real quick, memes also make fun of that person. Just saying, that what? person that's in the meme, whoever it is, is probably making fun of that person, and that person is beautifully and wonderfully made. Just saying it. <laughs> okay. Just think about it. True. Like, Very true. It, it is singling out. It is a, the beginning of cancel culture. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we should we should talk about memes sometime. Maybe. I'm just you know I'll, I'll get all crazy. I'm I'm learning a lot lately. Okay. Well, I agree <laughs> with you. I agree. <laughs> Everyone's beautifully and wonderfully made. Everyone's made in the image of God. Right. And yes, the person the meme is too. Yeah. We're we're in agreement there. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry. No. I, I was just thinking I was just thinking about how we when we live in a culture of one liners, yeah. Scripture isn't one line. Right, no. Like there's so much like you're saying we need to be willing to just Oh jeez. Jump in a little bit more. Getting into the idea of context. Holy cow, like we've we've lost context. Yeah. Like, completely. There's something to be said that's good about the simple statement. Like, the boil it all down to something easy to remember. Like, the one-liner, right? There's something good about that. (laughs) But at the same time, that can also boil it down to be too simple. Yeah. Like, for us to say, even, like, we're talking about the 10 core values. Right. For us to explain these 10 core values, that still doesn't explain the entire denomination. the, The whole brother in Christ or what it means to be an Anabaptist. Right. This gives you a, a, we're scratching the surface here, yeah. but if you really want to see what that's like, you really would have to be a part of an Anabaptist congregation, right. be in a Mennonite church or a Brother in Christ yeah. church or something. And that's going to give you a much more, a much better experience, one that you're immersed in. And the same thing is true for like these one-liners. Like it, it, it overly simplifies things. And sometimes it can be humorous and helpful, but it oversimplifies things. Like right. the Christian life cannot be boiled down to 140 characters. Yeah. Well. It no. maybe can. I mean. I'd be interested to try. Of course it could, right? Like, of course it could because, you know, our culture glorifies it and we figure out how to do it because we live in a marketing culture that everything's 
you could pay for yeah right like but i even like, think I even it, think it of, thinks about those catchy things and those catchy slogans but think of like the old the old church logo for i don't know if we've ever said church names here right well you know the church that i used to be a part of and you're a part of now yeah, right uh yeah was like love god share christ serve the world right that's only that that might fit in 140 characters i haven't counted yeah that's pretty simple, yeah. and that pretty clearly communicates what we're supposed to do, but does it answer every question? Sure does. No. Right. So it, it works to a certain point. Right. But at some point, it, it, it doesn't work anymore, and you have to be able to go deeper. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think I'm just I'm agreeing with what you're saying and recognizing the limitations of the, the meme and the Twitter right. and the, yeah. Well, we don't appreciate philosophy anymore in our society. It's so sad. You know, and we don't, we don't really appreciate even i mean we have theologians but they're too wordy and too heady for us to understand so like you know what i mean like you've got there there are these people that are out there that just a wealth of knowledge um and, and i think maybe what we're getting into is that whole like verse of like love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength right like we can identify with the ones we're good at and the ones that we're not good at we'll just kind of defer you know, like it's someone else's job to teach me how to love God or it's someone else's thing to do this or that. So like we've, we've, we've relied on the system to, to solve problems or to um, draw us near. And maybe as a collective, we need to get more engaged. So I don't know. It, I, I mean, obviously I, I think that in some cases, like, do you have problems? Well, yeah, we have problems because there's sin. Sure. Right? Yeah. right? Like, like, and there, so if we, we agree that we are broken people and we have traumas in our lives and there's also sin, like, of course there's going to be problems. Yeah. But that's not Jesus. It's so the problem is that Jesus, because he is, you know, he was man and we can identify with him and we can take these things to him. Like, and sometimes these things get twisted because of us, not him. <laughs> We're studying Philippians at church right now. Yeah. And one of the things that we've come across in that, and I think this gets to the point, maybe maybe it begins to bring it to a to an end here, is um, <clears throat> there's a passage in Philippians, I think it's 2, where it talks about, Paul's like, look, if you, essentially, if you follow Jesus, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Mm-hmm. And when we read that, really quickly we can interpret that to mean be like-minded with one another like you and i should be like-minded but if you actually go back and read it it, it's not like-minded with each other you're supposed to be like-minded with christ Mm -hmm. and so if you have a picture of the two of us standing in opposite corners of a room uh, we're really far apart and if we are trying to pull each other to to one another's side uh, we're essentially saying you're wrong and i'm right Right, uh, somebody's going to be a winner and a loser to that, but we don't need to worry about that. We we can actually both focus on Jesus, and if we both stop worrying about trying to yank each other over to our respective sides, and we both focus on following Jesus, it's a third point off in the distance somewhere. And the the closer that you and I get to Jesus, the closer we end up getting to each other. We're choosing to be like minded with Jesus, and slowly we're actually becoming like minded with each other too. It's like a byproduct of being like minded with Jesus is becoming like minded with one another. And so maybe part of what we need to do is is stop all the arguing, stop all the finger pointing, stop all the I don't know, getting worked up about the disagreements. Focus more on the simple of 
I need to follow Jesus. And if I really want to know what that's like, let's look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus pretty clearly defines what it means to define him in that. And so I'm going to do those things. I'm going to follow Jesus in that way. And if we all make that a priority, some of these disagreements we have are going to just fall away because they're not going to fit anymore. And they're not going to be important anymore. Right. I like it. Yeah. Why is it important? That's the last one. Uh, Why is following Jesus important, Doug? Does it feel like all these questions feel strange with this one? It does. <laughs> I don't mean for them to. Yeah. But even as I just say them out loud, they just feel yeah. obnoxious. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> we both we both raised were raised in church. Yeah. And we both have been asked these questions for our apologetics. Oh my goodness, you're right. And and they feel too cheesy. They do. You're you've hit it. That's that's, that's so it. true. That I mean, why is following Jesus important? It's like. Because he's Jesus, you know. Like we started that, we started that answer when we were in like thirteen, right, fourteen, yeah. in, in Sunday school. Because Jesus was the right answer every time, right? And right now, you, you almost deep down in your core just want to be like, because. <laughs> Before we were like because he's Jesus, and now we're like because he's Jesus, yeah, and right. we mean it, yeah. But it feels too cheesy to say. It does. <laughs> Oh no! This terrible—we've been inoculated to the the right answer, right? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Sunday school, you did too good. <laughs> Jeez, right? Like, oh. all uh, right. Well, so why is it important? Why is the following Jesus important? Why is the core value important? I, I mean, I want to believe that following Jesus is the way to feel full and joy and have a full life. Hmm. I, I mean. In the full expression of that, I mean, so like scripture and Jesus, like very clear about like following Jesus is also suffering. Yeah. Right. Like, so I'm not saying, hey, it's the good life to follow Jesus. I'm saying it's real hard. There's suffering. We don't like to suffer. People don't like to suffer. I don't know what's wrong with them, <laughs> you know, but like there's a part of that. But sure. that also is part of the joy piece, you yeah, know, yeah. Like the fullness of life, what we were created for is that walk with, with, with him. Um, and that that's possible because what Jesus did for us on the cross, but also because the Holy Spirit is there to guide us through it. So I that's why it's important. like that. That's a, I mean, I don't know that, like, I, I would just echo that. Like, following Jesus is the, it's, it's, that's the fullest expression of life that there could right. be. Yeah. Now, I would say too that, like, it's, it's my faith in Jesus that, gives me eternal life like that that's the promise right that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life and i could just i guess go to the very end of my days if i knew that someday on january 3rd when i'm 88 years old and 20 whatever that is i could wait until the last moment to declare my faith and then i i could still have that eternal life but by by obeying him now by following him now and not waiting until that last moment right i get a more full expression of of life right and that includes joy and thanksgiving and all right. of that but i make a bigger impact in the world around me right. i think about how many people that i encounter because i'm following jesus um it has an impact a positive impact on their life i, I don't know i i like the way you said that the fullest expression of life right. life to the fullest is following Jesus, not following my way, not following someone else's way, following the way of Jesus. I would just add that, like, to follow Christ is to follow love, right? 
So yeah. if I live this life, okay, so say eternal life isn't at the end of the thing, right? Maybe, maybe all the atheists are right. I still get that full life, right? Um, I still get that full life. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, following love and being and having the fullest expression of life and then nothing, a life worth living. I think, too, eternal, eternal life starts now. Sure. You don't have to yeah. wait till I die for yeah. eternal life yeah. to start, right? That. Like, right? Eternal like, life starts now. Like, when we, I choose to follow Jesus, eternal life, it begins now. Yeah. C.S. Lewis even says, eternity starts now and we'll walk into eternity where we were. So it's that's the reason to do the work. To do the work now means that that's, that's you're already more familiar. You have that relationship with Jesus. You're more familiar with the person that you love. Mm. And isn't that even part of what Jesus, when, when Jesus comes to the to Lazarus, when he's dead, he encounters Mary and Martha. Yeah. And he, he encounters Martha first. And, and, and he's like, Martha, do you believe? Mm-hmm. And, and Martha's like, yeah, I've always believed. And it, part of it is, is like Martha expects him to kind of make the situation okay, but I don't think she expects him to raise Lazarus from the dead, even mm-hmm. up to the moment he does it. Because yeah. she's like, don't open the tomb, it's going to smell bad. Right. But then he does. And and part of what he's saying when he says, do you believe, is like, do you believe that eternity starts now? Do you believe that eternal life begins now? Do you believe that I have this good stuff, not just someday somewhere, but I have this good stuff for you right now? The fullness of life is upon you. Right. Do you believe? Yeah. The, the fullest expression of life stands before you in the flesh. God in the flesh. Emmanuel stands before you. Do you believe? Right. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yeah. And that, yeah, eternal life starts today. And we did this whole thing about one-liners and stuff, but Jesus was the master saying very little and meaning so much. That's that's fair. You know what I mean? He'd like, have a great Twitter he, account. Right. Like, I mean, he'd kill it. He, <laughs> he would kill it. Yeah. Like, because that's what he meant, right? Like, he meant, like, the kingdom is here. Yeah. Celebrate. Seriously. Right? Like. No joke. It's here. It's near. It's yeah, now. Yeah. Like, this is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and yet. Mm. She's just like, yeah, I always believed in you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yep, don't get it yet. Yeah, right, yeah. He's right? like, I always believe you're the Messiah. Right. But it's so much more than that. Don't you understand? Right. And that's maybe why these questions sometimes seem cheesy too. We've got the right answers like Martha. But, but we... when we talk this out, it's like, oh, wait, there's more there. Oh, yeah, it's deeper. Oh, yeah. We're scratching the surface. Yeah. Even the guy, like you said, or like there's people that are way smarter that's worked this stuff out. Okay. But even them, they're just scratching the surface. Yeah. We're all scratching the surface in this thing. And that's why the whole like we're learning and we're growing and we're following or a bang. Like mm-hmm. that's, we're all in that space. Yeah. Still learning yeah. and still growing. Yeah. And we do that through obedience. And it's super important to be in a place where you're like, it's okay that we're all learning. So. Yeah. I think Jesus won. You don't have to have to all the answers. Space, right. Yeah. To be in that space. <laughs> So sweet. Well, yeah, that was good. What's the next core value? What's coming up next time? I think it, I think it is community. I believe. Oh, belonging, yeah. belonging, belonging to the to community. community of faith. Okay. Yeah. So we get to talk about community next time. Cool. Well, thanks guys for hanging in there with us. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so deep.